Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 25. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shea Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim and Ramalia's son have plotted to ruin you, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves to make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only Rezin, Within 65 years, Ephraim will, too be, will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and at all the waterholes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and private parts and to cut off your beard also. In that day, a person will keep alive a young cow and two goats and because of the abundance of milk they give, there will be curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, in every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there will be only briars and thorns. Hunters will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of the briars and thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. Well, good day, everyone. Good to see you. Good to see you if you're meeting face to face. Um, it would be great if you had the passage in front of you and the outline as well. It will help you kind of keep track of where we're going, uh, as has been mentioned. We're, ne- we're now uh, third in our series in Isaiah. It's interesting what people do in a crisis, isn't it? How we 
react when we feel under pressure. Apparently, we stockpile toilet paper. I'm not sure what people were expecting COVID to do, but whatever it is, toilet paper was the answer. And we haven't learned our lesson really, like after the first lockdown, we kind of should have realised we didn't really need to keep all that toilet paper. But you look at all the lockdowns, uh, Sydney's lockdown, guess what's the first thing to go? Toilet paper. Our family was living in Kensington during the first lockdown, 1.0, that's how we measure them here in Melbourne. People were posting updates on social media in the community groups where I lived on the latest toilet paper arrivals. Woolies in Newmarket just got a whole bunch of sorbent 24 packs. Showgrounds Coles, Kleenex, now they do toilet paper as well. One night about 10pm someone posted a new pallet of Quilton 10 packs at the Shell Servo. Now if you, know, if you live in Kensington you'll know what I'm talking about, right? That's a, this is the kind of stuff you miss out on when you're not on Facebook. Well, within about five minutes of this announcement, uh, uh, people emerged out of the darkness and converged on the Shell service station like hyenas on a dead carcass. And the pallet was picked clean within about ten minutes. I know because I was one of those hyenas. It's interesting how we respond in a crisis, right? What we do. And it's also revealing sometimes because often it shows uh, what makes us feel secure. The things we put our trust in. Are stockpiling goods and services. Uh, Camping on news websites. Waiting for the latest press conference. Scrolling scrolling through the the newsfeed on our phones. There's a name for that, right? Hey, doom scrolling, right? If I just have enough information, if the government could just get its act together, then I'd feel secure, then I'd be safe. Well, how do you react in a crisis? How do you respond when you're feeling under pressure? When your exams are pressing? When your work is stressful? When your relationships are starting to fall apart? What do you do? Well, there's often lots of practical things we can do when we're in a stressful situation. But in the midst of it all, let me ask, are we trusting God? Are we coming to him in faith? Well, in our passage this evening, Ahaz uh, and the people of Judah are facing an enormous crisis, a catastrophic military invasion. And they're petrified, right? They're packing it. And the question is, what will they do? How will they respond? Well, the call to them and the call to us really is this. Trust God. Trust him alone. Let me pray that God will help us do that. From Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Father God, our mighty fortress and stronghold, would you prove these things to us tonight as we turn to your word 
and help us to put our trust in you. Amen. Now you may remember from a couple of weeks ago from chapter 1, verse 1, Isaiah prophesied during the reign of four different kings, uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. And these events that we read about tonight are set in Ahaz's time. Uh, The year is about 734 BC here. Uh, These events are also described in other places like the uh, Assyrian historical records and it's a reminder that we're dealing with facts here. It's not uh, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. It's history. These events really happened. And so to fully understand what's going on, we really need a brief history lesson. So have a look at the map there on the slide and you've also got it uh, in your handout as well in case you want to make a couple of notes. You can see Judah there down the bottom. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem, also called Zion as well, and Ahaz is the king there. To the northeast is Assyria, and its capital is Nineveh. And that's, if you've read Jonah, you'll know that he was sent to preach there. And the guy in charge, the emperor, his name is Tiglath-Pileser III, right? Very regal-sounding name, TP3 as I like to call him. Uh, Assyria is the ascendant uh, imperial power and they're like a, like a hungry lion. Their armies are, are devouring su- the surrounding nations. Now in between Judah and Assyria, as you can see, is uh, Aram or Syria. Its capital is Damascus and it's ruled by King uh, Rezin, which we would have heard in our reading. Uh, Israel is just a bit further south. Its capital is Samaria. Uh, it's also called, uh, Israel is also referred to as Ephraim, you would have heard that, and that's named after the biggest tribe in, in Israel. And it's ruled by King Pekah. Now, Israel used to be one kingdom, but after Solomon it split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So that kind of sets the scene for us, right? So we read in verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, the situation here was Assyria was kind of occupied on its northern borders. So Rezin and Pekah saw this as their opportunity to throw off Assyrian rule. And they wanted Judah to join them. But Ahaz was scared. He didn't want to really bug the Assyrians. He was scared of what they might do. So he refuses to join them. And so now Aram and Israel, they're marching on Judah. And their purpose, if you look in verse 5, is to overthrow Ahaz, to get him out of there and replace him with someone else, a puppet they can control who will do their bidding. And so now verse 2 Uh, The house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, or Israel. So the heart of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Ahaz and Judah, they're they're scared. They're petrified, they're panic-stricken. You can see why, right? They're about to get invaded. Maybe you've faced terror like this. Maybe you're facing terror like this now. Well, into that situation, enter Isaiah, 
God sends Isaiah to Ahaz with words of comfort and reassurance. Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, uh, you and your son, Shear Deshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. All this, it will, not, it will not take place. It won't happen. Ahaz, Isaiah, Isaiah says, God is in control. So don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. The Lord has got your back. It's the original keep calm meme, isn't it? Right here. Keep calm, trust God. Well, that meme that you might have seen around is actually based off uh, World War II British posters that they, were post- uh, that they were plastering up to try and keep the people calm as they faced Germany. Uh, have a look. Keep calm and carry on. Just go about your business even though you're about to get bombed. Chin up, head high, don't worry, keep calm, carry on. It really is a call to be British, isn't it? To a kind of stoic self-dependence. But here, in in Isaiah 7, uh, Isaiah's words to Ahaz, it's not a call to British stoic self-dependence. It's a call to depend on God, to humbly trust him and his promises. You see, God had made promises to Ahaz, to Judah and to all the house of David. Note the use of that address in verse 2. House of David, the house of David was told. In 2 Samuel 7, God had eternally bound himself to the house of David and to Judah. He promised to David and his descendants, I will establish your house and your kingdom forever. And so, yes, trouble is coming, but Ahaz, don't be troubled. It will be okay, but Ahaz, you must trust God. Friends, uh, those same promises have been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 8, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who? Well, no one and nothing. For nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And he, God, who did not spare his own son, how will he not give us all things in eternity? That's what Paul says. They are God's promises to us. And so in light of God's promises to us, if you're feeling anxious or fearful, let me encourage you, let me encourage all of us to trust God. And frankly, there are lots of things in our world at the moment to be fearful about. Let me encourage us to make prayer our first response not our last resort. 
Let me encourage us to bring all our burdens, all our worries, all our fears to him. Let me encourage us to listen to him, to obey him, even when it's scary, even when it costs. Because sometimes it will. Well, Ahaz, he's scared. And God knows he'll find it hard to trust. So God's going to help him. He's going to help him trust. And he does that by revealing that actually these two nations that you're so worried about, they're actually spent forces. Verse 4, they're two smouldering stubs. So in reality, they look tough, but they have no power. They are no threat because soon both nations will be shattered. Soon they'll be nothing. God is in control. Trust him. And really, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot hanging on what happens next. Because even as Isaiah comforts and reassures Ahaz, he also warns him. Have a look at verse 9. Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. See, trusting God isn't the fallback option here. It's not the contingency plan. It's not what you do, the last resort, when you, you try where nothing else has worked. It's the only way forward for Ahaz and for Judah and for us. In times of blessing and in times of trouble. That's the truth of this passage. You see, nothing in this world... Nothing else can bear the weight of our ultimate trust. Only God can because everything else fades. It corrupts. It passes away. You see, we can have every comfort, every security, all of it in this world, all the power, the fame, the wealth, all the PhDs, all the job titles. But if we don't have God, if we don't have Christ, if we're not forgiven and found in him, then we have nothing. Because before the judgment seat of God, all of that that we were trusting in that wasn't God, all of that will will just disappear. It will go. All our worldly props, all our accomplishments, they'll mean nothing then. But if we trust in Christ, if we're found in him, then we have it all. Life, peace, everything in eternity. That's the promise of the Gospel. Trusting God isn't the fallback option. It's the only option. Well, even after the warning, Ahaz still isn't quite there. So again, God offers reassurance. He offers Ahaz a sign to know for sure that God is with him. Have a look, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it's in the deepest depths or in the, in the highest heights, whatever you want. What an offer. Wouldn't you like that offer from God, right? Ask for a sign, anything. It's like a, a blank check, right? or to translate it into this decade, it's a credit card miracle, right? With no credit limit. Ahaz, 
Ask me for anything, anything you want to show uh, I am with you and that I will save you. The sky's the limit. What kindness, what grace that God would do that. Surely that's an offer that nobody would refuse, right? But Ahaz said, verse 12, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Wow. Amazing. Such faith, right? What a man of God. Ahaz, he doesn't need a sign. He doesn't need a miracle. He won't put God to the test. God's promise, his word is enough for Ahaz. He's God's man through and through, isn't he? Well, actually, no. Ahaz actually is a complete fake. He's a phony. He's not God's man. He's not trusting God. You see, this is what else we know about Ahaz uh, from 2 Kings uh, chapter 16, verse 3. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places to foreign gods. That's not trusting God. And in the worship to the same God, he offered his son as a sacrifice in the fire. He killed his son in worship of other gods. Awful. Horrendous. Sickening. And so Ahaz... You're not fooling anyone. You're not faithful. He's evil through and through. And what else we find in that same passage in 2 Kings 16, we find out exactly why he doesn't want a sign. And it's not because he's trusting God, it's because he's trusting in someone else. From verse 7, Ahaz sent messages to say to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of King Aram and of the king of Israel who are attacking me. How good it would it have been if those words were addressed to God, right? Come and save me, Lord. I am your servant. What a wonderful prayer that would be. Sweet, faithful prayer. Except it isn't addressed to God, is it? It's addressed to the king of Assyria. You see, Ahaz has backed a different horse. And this request shows exactly where his faith is. It's a faithless request, but it's also a dumb request. It's stupid. One commentator puts it like this. It's like a mouse, Judah, asking a cat... Assyria, to help him take on two other mice, right? Assyria and Aram. That's what he's doing. He's getting the mouse, he's getting the cat to solve his problems. And when you do that, what do you think happens? Well, it doesn't end well for the mouse. So Ahaz rejects the offer of a sign. Not out of faith, but from unfaith. It's a fulfilment of what God said would happen in chapter 6 last week. Be ever hearing, and never, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. His heart is hard. 
So Ahaz won't ask God for a sign, but the Lord will give him one anyway. Verse 13. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Not your God, Ahaz. My God, because you're trusting someone else. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The sign here is a child and his name means God with us. Emmanuel. Now if we're familiar with Christmas and Christmas carols and Christmas verses, we know how this sign, this prophecy is ultimately fulfilled. The virgin is Mary, yes. And the child is Jesus, that's right. As with most prophecies in the Old Testament, there's a long-term fulfilment and we see it in Matthew 1 in the birth of Christ but there's also a short-term one, right? The question is in 734 BC, who is this child? Now I read a few experts on this issue and what's clear from my reading is it's not clear. Uh, Some say that uh, the sign is Ahaz's son Others say it's Isaiah's son. Others say that the child is a metaphor for the faithful remnant, the true believers within Israel, including Isaiah. You see, in chapter 1, Jerusalem is described as a daughter. In chapter 37, as a virgin daughter. And the son is the faithful remnant, birthed out of the ruins of Judah after judgment. Those who actually have trusted God. Now, whoever this child is, He's meant to be a sign of comfort, right? Of God's faithfulness and salvation because his name means God is with us. He will save us. What else is clear though is that first he's actually not a sign of comfort and salvation. First the child is a sign of God's judgement, a judgement that's coming soon. Verse 16 before he grows up, that is, before he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, which in Jewish culture was around 12 or 13, something like that. Before he grows up, before he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Soon these two nations that Ahaz fears, God will judge and destroy them. That's what this sign is saying. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. Here's a timeline uh, on the screen. Uh, that third number is wrong because we don't sort of jump forward and back in time, but it'll make sense. In 734, Ahaz gets this sign of the prophecy. A year later, after Ahaz's plea to TP3, Assyria turns her attention southwest and takes uh, Israel's northern territories. In 732, that's what that should be, uh, Aram, uh, Syria is is crushed, right? And finally, in 722, within 12 years of the prophecy, Samaria and the rest of Israel falls. That's another story. What What did Isaiah say from God? Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. 
because it will not happen. For the child was a sign of judgment for Syria, for Israel, and so it should have been a sign of salvation for Ahaz and Judah, right? But he isn't. Because Ahaz and Judah didn't trust God or his word. Instead they turned to Assyria. They ditched the Lord and worshipped pagan gods and took on all their practices. And so this child is not just a sign of judgement against Israel and Syria. He's a sign of judgement against Ahaz and Judah as well. Verse 17 The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. That's what's going to happen. You see, God with us doesn't always mean God for us. Sometimes it means God is with us, yes, but in judgment. And, and, and God's judgment here is so apt, it's so appropriate because, you know, God says, do you want the king of Assyria? Is that what you want, Ahaz? Well, guess what? Have him. That's often how God judges, right? He gives us exactly what we desire in our sin and our unbelief. And it comes back to bite us. Well, verses 18 to 25, they predict the absolute carnage, the terrible devastation that Assyria will bring to Judah. You see, Assyria will infest and ravage the land like bugs. Like a razor, Assyria will shave Judah completely. And it's not a hipster haircut here. It's not some sort of cosmetic waxing. It's complete humiliation. Briars and thorns will cover the land. Yes, there's going to be an abundance of food, of honey and and curds, but there's going to be so much because there's going to be no one left to eat it. That's what happens when mice get cats to solve their problems. And so here there's also a warning for us as well, I think. Turn to anything but God, put your trust in anything except him, and the consequences will come back to bite us. When we turn to sex or drugs or alcohol to solve our problems, to medicate our pain, so easily that ends up damaging our lives in addiction and other ways. Maybe it's money or success or accomplishment that we're trusting in. But how many people have turned to them and end up dying lonely and sad and empty? I read this study by a palliative care nurse. She used to work with people uh, in the late stages of their lives as they were dying. And she wrote a book about her experiences called The Five Top Regrets of the Dying. Guess what? Not one person wished they had have worked more. Not one person wished they had have made more money. And even if that choice not to trust God doesn't finish in some kind of spectacular train wreck like it did for Judah, 
failure to trust God will have consequences for our faith. It will increase our pride and our self-reliance. We'll feel more stressed and anxious as we bear the weight of feeling like things. We need to do them on our own without God. We'll be more fearful in the small things, in the big things like this current COVID epidemic, like climate change. How can these things, these huge things which are beyond our control possibly work out if God isn't in control? if we can't trust him. If we don't trust God, we will do rash things. We'll make ungodly decisions in our lives and with our relationships if we don't trust God. Well, for Ahaz and Judah, Emmanuel was meant to be a sign of comfort and salvation, but instead he was a sign of judgement because they chose not to trust God but there were some people who did trust God. Chapter 8, some of that is addressed to them. And for those who did trust, like Isaiah and his followers, all who stayed faithful and survived the tribulations, the suffering that was about to come, this child actually was a sign of salvation, a wonderful sign of God's presence and his faithfulness. Well, we know how the New Testament applies this passage, don't we? The virgin is Mary and the child is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. But Christ's birth in a much, much more wonderful way, in a much, much greater way, is a sign of God's loving presence amongst us. Because Christ has come not to just save us from some military threat or some political enemy, he's come to save us from sin. This is from Matthew 1. And the angel said to Joseph, She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus isn't just a sign for one nation, for Judah. He's a sign for the whole world. For he is God's love and his compassion. He is God's healing and his grace. He is God's forgiveness and his peace. He's our life, our hope, our future, our eternal glory. He is God with us. But just like the child was then, Jesus is also a sign of judgement now. You see, if you don't trust him, if he's not the cornerstone on which you're building your life, he's going to be your stumbling block, the rock that causes us to fall. That's what happens when you reject the one whom God has made Lord, Lord of the universe. And because he is Lord, because he is Lord of all, because he is God with us, he has the whole of history in his hands. And we can trust him with anything. 
We can trust him with all our hopes and our anxieties, with all our joys and our sorrows, with our present and with our future, with our life and even with our death because he is Emmanuel and he loves us more than we could ever imagine. And so tonight, whatever it is that you're facing, hear these words of assurance. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. For I am powerful, I love you, and I'm with you. Let's pray. Lord, you are our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. And Jesus, you are our Emmanuel. Tonight we bring you all our fears and anxieties, all our stress, those we face personally and the ones that we face together. By your spirit, Lord, give us a sense of your faithfulness and power, of your nearness and your presence. Give us a clear vision of your promises and your word. Give us contentment, Give us courage and give us resolve. Give us whatever we need to stay faithful and to trust you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're going to sing a song now in Christ alone about the one in whom we can place all our trust in. So let's stand. Mm-hmm.